1: Hey, it's Matt Robeson, Beyond Politics, coming up. A really interesting conversation with a psychologist about why the heck we're all so bummed out even when things are going well. But first, I've got a really quick request. It's easy, it's fast, and it could really help us out. You may know that our show's been doing really well. About a year ago, we were measured as being in the top 10% of all podcasts on Earth. This year, according to the podcast tracking site, Listen Notes, we're now in the top 2.5%, but we've got ambitions. Today, it's December 1st. By May 1st, 2024, in six months, we wanna be in the top 1%, and we think we can get there, but we need a very quick piece of help from you. Ratings and reviews and listener reactions in general are playing a bigger and bigger role in how podcasts move up the charts. So here's my ask. Wherever you're listening to the show right now, Please take a moment and just leave us a rating and a review. Of course, we'd love for that to be a five star rating. Kind of goes without saying. It doesn't have to be a long review. Just give us a sentence or two, something positive you like about the show. If you listen on different platforms from time to time and you have to choose among them, Apple is still the biggest. And so it's the most helpful if we get ratings and reviews there. Spotify is second. And really, just wherever works for you is great. It still helps. This should hopefully take you less than 30 seconds. You could even just hit pause and do it right now. That would be amazing. Of course, if you're driving, maybe don't do that. Do it in a few minutes. Uh, Look, we really appreciate it. Again, that's the goal. Top 1% in the next six months. We think we can get there. We really appreciate your help. We really appreciate you. Being with us on this journey. And with that, let's get to my interview with Dr. Deborah Osgood. Just as a listener note, we actually recorded this a couple months ago when there was a lot of discussion going on about why people were feeling so bad about the economy when all the numbers said that things were going really well. Then a bunch of other things came up right after we recorded it. We didn't end up running it. We decided to sit on it until this was sort of a hot topic again. Guess what? It's been a hot topic again this week. The New York Times podcast, The Daily, devoted a whole show to it. There's new polling about it. So with that, here we go. What the hell is wrong with us? We're depressed, we're dissatisfied, and we're willing to believe almost anything these days. I'm Matt Robeson. This is Beyond Politics. I'm pleased to be joined by someone who's thought a lot about those questions. Dr. Depp is your popular handle. You are Dr. Deborah Osgood, you do a lot of things. You're a consultant, you're a coach, you're a trainer, you're a motivational speaker. I sound like, what What was the old doll? She walks, she talks, she yeah. provides <laughs> expert consulting advice. You also are the host of the I Radio show and podcast Movers and Shakers. And your focus is in this intersection between human psychology and business. You You focus mostly on business applications, But you've been doing a lot of thinking and work about some of the broader societal and political tie ins to what we're seeing psychologically. And as we were thinking about how we wanted to frame up and and get started on this topic, you suggested reading an article by Paul Krugman in the New York Times two weeks ago, in which he basically said, I'm okay, but things are terrible. There's this disconnect between what he points out are economic numbers and people's assessment of what's going on in the economy and how they feel about the economy. This obviously has everything to do with our current politics. Why did you want to start there? What did you take from that article that touches on your thinking about what's going on right, with us as Americans?
0: It's great to be here with you, Matt. And your description of me makes me think about the ever ready bunny bumping into the wall. <laughs> yes, we're dating <laughs> um,
1: ourselves with a 40 year old ad campaign, but I'm with you. <laughs>
0: Yeah, the intersection of human behaviors, it's everything. Whether we're leading in politics, whether we're working in our own job, whether we're an individual as an independent contractor, our behavior and how we see the world affects everything. And so for years, I've worked with entrepreneurship. How do you start? How do you grow? And that leads into what is going on in the economy, what's going on in the world. I work with all kinds of entrepreneurs in all kinds of industries. So it ultimately came down to, Who is behind those industries? What is going on in those industries? And so here we have this time in our history where people are desperate for leadership in all aspects, climate, political, we could go on, Krugman's article in the economy. But what does that mean? Why are we here today? And there's a lot of different reasons. And they intersect with psychology, neuroscience, quantum physics and economics, which is why I love your background, because you're interested in multiple different disciplines.
1: I do try to throw things into a blender and have something that comes out that's a little bit more palatable than the smoothies I make. I what was fascinating to me about the Krugman article, which I commend to everybody, is he points out that take inflation, which is something we've discussed a great deal on this show. Obviously, it is the salient political and economic fact of the last year and a half or so. And you have this massive disconnect. What the numbers say is that inflation is way down. And as Krugman points out, we're not just talking about, oh yeah, inflation is way down if you don't count food. No, it's everything. Inflation is way down. It's actually down to any pedestrian levels. And people's expectations about what's going to come up. He talked to entrepreneur, he he talked about surveys of entrepreneurs too. people's expectations about what's coming are actually pretty good. They're pretty positive. And people's assessments of their own personal financial circumstances are pretty good. And yet what they consistently tell social science researchers and tell pollsters and seem to be exuding politically is, yeah, the economy sucks. The economic leadership of the president sucks. They thought the economy under Donald Trump was better. All things that are not really empirically
0: true. Exactly. The facts are not
1: there. But that's how they feel. Now, you could take the Newt Gingrich approach, which is feelings are facts. And from a certain extent, they are. Like, if if you feel it, I'm not going to argue the way you. But they're unique and they're individual. But on the other hand, how do you when you see that, how do you account for that? All right. It it simply comes down to,
0: remember the global recession, my goodness, all the economists figured that the data suggested it would not be anywhere near as severe and as long as it was. But everyone was afraid. Everything comes down to either fear on one end of the continuum or love being in a state of trust. And the more society moves to fear, the more you have this unpredictable chaos, if you will. And as human beings, even though our feelings are um, our perceptions of reality at the time, they're as unique as we are. So you can't really predict what they are. So the global recession ended up being a lot worse and a lot longer because everyone was afraid and they underestimated the message and that emotion. When you break down how our brains work, in caveman days, we were fight or flight. That was how our brains evolved as human beings. And next, think of stacks now. The next way the brain evolved was the emotional brain. If we work better in communities, if we take care of each other, if women take care of this role, men do this role. So now the emotional brain's evolving. After that, when we get into advanced society, technology improvements, we get to the intellectual brain. The only way the intellectual brain can be engaged is if, The emotional and the fight or flight are not. You cannot be in um, afraid, like PTSD state of mind, and engage the intellectual brain. Once that emotional brain is provoked at a level that's intense, like road rage, crimes of passion, um, we're afraid. PTSD, you're under threat. You feel like you're at risk. It is impossible because of the way we're engineered physiologically to engage the intellectual brain. So think of our last election, not this one, the one before. One candidate runs on, I will make America great. That's an emotional provocation. You, whatever you think making America great is, whatever I think is very different, but we want it. What does the other candidate run on? I have a plan. If everybody's afraid because their paychecks going down, immigration is an issue, climate change is a concern, social media, the, the proliferation of where we can get news these days for each and any one of us. younger generations, in fact, make their vote on social media information. We, we used to use newspapers and journals. <laughs> so you've got all that coming at everyone. And everyone's pulling from that their own interpretation of this guy's going to make everything great for me. And I trust him because he, he's talking right to me. And the other person has a plan. It's, I'm afraid. I'm at risk. I'm worried about the future. I like what this guy's saying. And I tell myself the story. And that comes down to conspiracy theories. And it's no different. There, it can be called different things. But it's basically our, both our choice and both the proactive telling us what we need to know and what's going on and how we respond to that.
1: Let's take a break. We'll be right back. There's, so there's a lot to unpack in that. And first part about the difference between how we rationally respond to information and whether we're even, we even have the brain space to be able to do that. It reminds me a lot of what the behavioral economist, Daniel Kahneman calls thinking fast versus thinking slow. And, what he outlines is we really only have the capacity to think slow when we've cleared away, as you say, the kind of the fast twitch need to deal with this fight or flight type stuff. And so when we're dealing with a flood your senses with hyped up and scary stuff environment, you really can't deal in a rational way with the world. And so it it sounds in part like what you're suggesting is We have had, in football terms, they flooded the zone, right? Like, we've had our senses overwhelmed by negative information, bad information, scary stuff. And so we really can't deal with, hey, inflation is down. Let's think about this rationally. Actually, and I've been to pains to point this out. I can tell you from my experience as a congressional staffer, There are historians who calmly, rationally say this. President Biden is one of the most successful presidents of the last century.
0: The data is there.
1: The data is there. There is no doubt about it. The economy in the last two years under President Biden is, it's been an astonishing economic success, an absolutely astonishing success. And by the way... This didn't happen by accident. Our growth in America, compared to the seven largest other economies in the world, has been the strongest as we've recovered from the COVID induced recession. And worldwide, there was inflation as the world came back from that. Our inflation has gone the lowest and the fastest of all of those other major economies. And so it's unquestionably true. I'd love to have a a debate, like a Harvard-style debate about this with someone on the other side of the political aisle. The numbers are there, but the comeback is people don't feel like it, which again, leaves me with this gap. So what, what you're saying is there is simply too much bad news, scary news out there for people to even begin to grapple with what the facts tell them.
0: But I'm saying it's strategically out there. Conspiracy theory, the another term is perception management. Human behavior and how I was explaining our brains are built and have evolved as human beings is a fact. And so conspiracy theorists, perception management, they all understand this and play to it. Now, we remember MacValley okay, and his book, and how he ruled by fear. And he found that ruling a society by fear was more effective than by having them like you. So the facts, I love what you're saying. I read, I care about information, I care about data. And yet all of the information that proves that Biden is doing a fabulous job is so quickly dismissed through Younger generations getting their facts on social media and artificial intelligence showing an old man and playing to the perception that he has dementia or some other problem. And there's the two issues again. Can you think when you're worried about everything going on in the world and you're going to vote into someone who's old and falling down?
1: I want to talk about this effect more broadly have long thought that there's something that is under discussed, under appreciated in politics discussions, because politics discussions are very of the moment, almost it's almost by necessity. They're in, intentionally tied up in the horse race, the what's going on in Congress, the what's going on in this campaign. In the background behind that, Americans are freaking depressed, Dr. Depp, and we have all kinds of social indicators to show it. Now, for a while, at the height of the pandemic, we were dealing with when talking about our state of national anxiety, our state of national depression, and it was very easy to hand-wavingly say, obviously, we're all anxious. There's a pandemic. Obviously, we're all depressed. We're trapped inside our houses. That is papering over something that has been going on a very long time. It, COVID was an accelerant. It didn't change the fundamental trend. That's over the, and I've cited this before. This is my own look at the data and I'll say it again. Over last the last 40 years, you can look this up. Anyone can do this right now. Just Google Gallup polling data. Gallup asks Americans, basically a right track, wrong track answer. Are you satisfied or dissatisfied with the direction of the country? The median number is two-thirds of Americans saying they're dissatisfied. They're dissatisfied over the last 40 years. In the last decade or so, before the pandemic, major depression was rapidly rising. Suicide rate was up 35%. Drug use and death via drug use were skyrocketing. Birth rates in America were down 23%. That is a sign of depression. Yeah. And in general, if you look at Pew Research, Americans have become deeply pessimistic about the future. And you have this disconnect that Krugman is talking about. At the time, 80% of Americans said that they were satisfied with their own family's financial situation, and an all time low, 14%, said that they were, quote, very happy in their lives. There's something deep going on with Americans. Now, I just said that these were longstanding trends. So I don't think you can chalk it all up to social media. No, but I I have a two part question for you. Ah, ah, ah. Why do you think we've seen this decades long trend toward these major outwards? This, if this were a person, you'd say this person, this was a cry for help, right? Yeah. Why do you think we've seen these decades-long trends toward these kinds of anxieties, depression, misery? And what do you think the role of social media has been over the last 15 years or so?
0: Yes, social media is a factor, and that's a great question in terms of where some of this is coming from. But it all still comes back to an overarching term, which is called leadership and the lack of. Because when we're little babies coming up in the world, we're defining ourselves by everything outside of ourselves. Either our parents hold us and say, aren't you cute? Are you capable? Or are they saying you've got Aunt Edna's nose, you'll never amount to anything. Leadership. But I'm very specifically talking about now the form of leadership as in parenting. Remember the term latchkey kids. When I was raised, I'm one of, I'm the youngest of four, but then my parents remarried. So now I was one of nine children. We still sat down to dinner together. There was structure. There was leadership. We got up on Saturday mornings and we did our chores and we all had assignments and we were taught there was a correlation between who we were and our contributions and outcomes. You don't play in your room, you're grounded. You don't get to go to school, you skip, you're grounded. If you do get A's, you get benefits. The latchkey kids all of a sudden in America, both parents go off to work. Who's raising the kids? No one. There's no one at home. All of a sudden, it was like the school system being finding themselves by default, raising children. We still haven't worked that out. There's so much inner conflict and polarity in the school system right now. We still haven't fi- fixed things in public education. So Matt, my opinion is that This has come out of a lack of leadership now for quite some time where the role of parenting, we don't even know where it's coming from anymore. There was data in late 80s, early 90s that suggested from an organizational behavior standpoint, corporations and employers are going to have to become now parents for their employees because children have not been taught who they are has value. And if you can contribute that value, there's benefits to it. We, I think it was 20 years ago, bachelor level, kids going off to college, the rate of alcoholism, the rate of depression, it was four or five years ago, one out of every three Americans qualifies as clinically depressed and anxious. And this is what I based my whole qualitative work on in my PhD study. Can you take individuals who have had a lack of parenting, a lack of leadership, and can you empower them to... Find their center is basically it. As I said before, uh, if they're emotionally provoked from everything outside of them, how do you help them to find, get grounded? So that became the goal. And I think that's going to be a key for America and globally if we as uh, human beings have to, why is mindfulness becoming more of a trend now? It's look within, it's get grounded. It's try to pull yourself away from the info glut, the fear that's coming at you from everywhere and look within, there are answers within. And this is now the fourth level of the brain. I talked about the instinctive, the emotional, the intellectual brain. What's evolving now for the first time, and thanks to science, we can see this, we can prove it scientifically, is something called the intuitive, where they say through data 99.9% of the time, our intuition is right on. But none of us have been taught to look there first, where our culture is inherently engineered so that when we're born, we look outside of ourselves. Our parents tell us who we are, our siblings, our peers, the public education system, the corporation, you get a raise if you do this. What point do you look within and say, wait a minute, am I happy? Am I fulfilling a purpose? Do I have value? I
1: suspect that the role of social media in all of this is comparative. I alluded to my intellectual hero, Daniel Kahneman, who I shout out a lot on this show. One of the things that he showed in his, it's basically psych research, right? Behavioral economics, is that what people really care about is not, do I get a raise? What people really care about is, wait, did everyone else on my block get a raise? It's comparative. If you are doing the same financially as the other people on your block, you feel okay. If you are a millionaire, if you're making a million dollars a year and everyone else on your block is making one point five, you're unhappy. And to me, I think there are two threads that I pull out of what you were just saying. One is this kind of learned helplessness sense of disconnection from the sources of things that give us structure, meaning and confidence. And the other is this comparative. So what you're referring to is this long term trend of kind of dislocation, parenting. And what I'm pointing to is this added layer that we've seen in the last 15 years via social media, and also the fracturing of media in general, where you're getting this comparative and you're feeling like, huh, the rest of the world is doing awfully well, And I, even if I can tell social science researchers that my personal financial situation is good, I still feel very unhappy. I still feel like somehow I'm falling behind. Yes, And that makes me feel aimless and it makes me feel disgruntled, whereas I used to be relatively gruntled. And it leads to this sense that everything is coming apart into that breach. My next question for you, is that why people are grasping for ever more outlandish conspiracy theories? And I hate to say it, of strong men like Donald Trump. Let's take a break. We'll be right back.
0: So, yeah, social media plays the comparative fear It's where it's human beings versus them. Personally, I think that's going to be the cause of our failed human experience. But beyond that us versus them, it's like the basic question that we all have, who am I and am I safe? And so yes, social media plays a big role in that. Who am I? A lot of younger kids are looking there to have their peers define them. Am I safe? Where are we going in this world? And every time they look for the answer to that question, the us versus them comes in and they're looking at social media or they're looking at what's happening in the news. Well fascinating. Again, it comes down to how we're engineered as human beings. Now, the thing that scares me, Matt, and this is right back into your bailiwick politics. In 357 BC, Plato's Republic talked about five regimes in society. So here's politics, leadership, everything. So it starts out with the aristocracy. A few people rule. He actually refers to the philosopher king, So the ideal way of leadership is somebody steps up that has the good of all the people in mind and everyone knows it. So they allow that individual to be the one to take care of everyone. And you've got two other structures in society, this philosopher king, the people that work with them, and then a political, I'm sorry, a military structure to enforce things and the people themselves. Plato says each one of these, he demonstrates how they're inherently flawed. So here now, the military forces are forcing what the philosopher king's doing, and the philosopher king's fair and righteous. However, all the people in the military are saying, why do they have the right to select few to run everything? I want to have a say. So that ultimately gives rise to the next layer in style. And then the people in the military, the people that they're ruling below and enforcing everything, the people below are saying, hey, wait a minute. We have a voice. We're the people you're making the rules for. Long story short, that comes into the fourth type of regime that this is, they're talking about in 357 BC or whatever, 47 BC. And that's called a democracy. Now, anyone who's listening to us today can, can relate to this. A democracy is for the people, by the people. However, everybody really isn't equal. We need to, those of us that can work and, and enjoy working, have to take care of some. That don't in society. And you've got to find an equal way to work things out and further with the to left together. But we're not equal in terms of our capacity, access, many different factors. But democracy, because it demands that everyone is, it gives rise to chaos. Now that is something that I can relate to that's going on right now. There's so much polarity in politics and how we should solve the environment in many areas like depression. The people who are clinically depressed and anxious, the people that are on medication, children that are on medication. So, how do you help this population get out of that emotionally provoked state of mind from a a rule democracy? You want them to engage intellectually. I like what you said earlier. Let's have a, a Harvard debate or something for both sides. If you've got a whole society on drugs, medication, legalizing marijuana, they cannot move beyond being vulnerable to being emotionally provoked by those in power so if it is continually be used being used as a strategy to repress and control the last form out of the five regimes from plato way back when is called exactly what you said a tyranny where it gives rise because of chaos to these individuals who they vote in to take over and when they do they can't get them out afterwards so that the T-Rex locked in their shell and the rest of us are running around crazy?
1: I have no idea what your personal politics are. And (laughs) uh, I didn't ask before we uh, engaged in this discussion. I'm not going to ask now. I, I will just say as a disclaimer, I'm a Democrat. I have my views on this. Others might disagree. So now I'm going to speak from my own perspective. Donald Trump is an authoritarian. Donald Trump, is a tyrant. Donald Trump is anti-democracy. He refused to leave office. He tried to stop the Democratic handover in our country, and he wanted to, his words, terminate the Constitution. But what are the conditions that allow someone like that to get a hold on power in the first place? I am reminded a little bit of the teen children's book, The mysterious Benedict Society, where a manipulative
0: not the emperors have no clothes. There's something to that (laughs) too.
1: Where a manipulative kind of master psychologist starts sending subliminal messages out about the emergency, and everyone is constantly talking about the emergency, and they say it's the emergency. Whatever goes wrong, it's the emergency. There's no one's hands on the wheel. Reminds me of what you were saying about parenting before. I have to say that in this whole analogy, Fox News seems to me like they're creating the emergency. I'm not clear what the emergency is of the emergency of the week, what it is that they have in mind. All I know is that for the past almost 30 years, they have been spouting about the emergency. And I have increasingly seen this nonstop torrent of it's not just negativity. I think negativity misses it. It's hysteria, it's emergency, it's there is a threat out there constantly. And I think people misapprehend when something like this ridiculous incident with Lauren Boebert happens from last week where she's drunk, she's vaping in the face of a pregnant woman, she's behaving like an ass, she's fondling her date in public. And then she gets kicked out of the theater and the the immediate reaction is, oh, this is bad for the Republicans. Sure. I guess it's not great for the Republicans, but in a larger sense, I think it's I think it's good for the types of people who have now become the MAGA core of the Republican Party, because anything that just turns people off, makes it seem like, wow, it's all craziness. It's all disgusting. It's all stuff. That I want to keep at arm's length. If you are so turned off, or if your limbic system is so amped up by hysteria about problems, threats, and fears that you don't, you can't even engage, like you said before, with facts, with issues, yeah. with, hey, what should our policy on this be? Then the authoritarians win. That's the condition that Donald Trump needs to rise and become president. He's taking
0: advantage of this.
1: He's taking advantage of this. And so so, Fox News. And and, yes. And so to me, that's if you want the if you want the answer, how did we end up here? There are culprits. Some of it are things that we never could have foreseen, unintended consequences. And some of it is there have been actors who have been trying to get us into this hyper fight or flight state for a long time. Mm -hmm. And they've succeeded.
0: Exactly. And it's across the board. Public education system in America went from the top three to the bottom 30. So what did Hitler say? Give me your children. People aren't educated in this country anymore. What did you do with 9-11? All of a sudden we had yellow warnings, orange warnings, whatever warnings. Children who believed in childhood and we wanted them to are all of a sudden finding out now, I need to know where my mom is if I get the warning in the, in the neighborhood. I saw more. I lived in East Kingston, this little town in New Hampshire, and they had two tanks in East Kingston, New Hampshire, the kinds of armament that was being put all over the country. We are, this comes down again to a common theme in a continuum. If we as human beings, each one of us, are, are operating out of fear, we are vulnerable to being controlled and behaving in a way that we wouldn't otherwise if we felt safe, if we felt we had choices. Like in the 50s when the economy was doing well and we all came out of the depression and wars, and we realized in society we need to help each other out. We respect what we've all done for the war. We're all in this together. We had the you you look at the generation Z and X and all this stuff now. The millennials is the first generation to not trust each other. So again, all of these times and circumstances and people and places and influences. All are irrelevant if the central theme is this country and globally, we're being provoked into a state of fear, while the 1% or the very few start to rise to the top and take advantage of it. We still also, in your school of politics, Matt, think of what's going to be the next leader. Is, Is Russia the threat? Is China the threat? There was an article in the Times a few weeks ago that said, digital is the threat. Pool controls digital, where we all get our information, where you and I are meeting? What did we just hear about a Tesla controlling the satellites in, in a play that had something to do with Ukraine's capacity to defend itself? What are we being told online? Can we even look for facts in journalism anymore as more and more local stations are being bought up? And- And there's more and more editorial sources, but where are the sources for facts? Speak of politics, I can't come up with a name anymore of what I am, because what I used to think, a Democrat and a Republican and an independent stood for, I don't know that those definitions have applied for the last 20 years.
1: Well, look, I'm on a long-term project to convince our mutual friend, Alicia Preston, that she's really not a Republican anymore, because whatever it used to stand for, it sure doesn't these days. And look, I I think we can wrap on this. None of the concepts we're talking about are exactly new. Anyone who wants can crack open George Orwell's 1984. You can read about the two minutes of hate and the fictitious war against East Asia or Eurasia that was constantly being maintained to keep people in a state of fear, agitation and openness to a dictator overseeing them and giving them a sense of Comfort and safety and structure. And the parallels are so darn obvious. I don't need to belabor them. If I look at For you and me. Yeah. And these things have seeped into the popular culture. I, I don't get my political philosophy from Marvel movies. The entire setup of Avengers and Hydra and the idea of, hey, if we just try to take over, it's not going to work. People will resent that. But if we create a sense of chaos where people desire order, then they will they will gladly trade that in, and I am concerned that is where we are at. Thanks very much, Sad. Yes, I. I
0: <laughs> great you know, note to
1: close on. Not, that is the question. Yeah, great and depressing note to to close on. If we, in case we live, I'll have to have you back to see what things look like. And if not, if we're doing this from a cave in two years of post apocalyptic nightmare, we can we can make this a campfire discussion. Dr. Deb, Dr. Deborah Osgood, thanks so much for being on Beyond Politics. Thank you, Matt. It was a delight.